Please take your Bible and turn it to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, we're continuing what is the third part in a four-part series ending Romans chapter 15. And so today we'll read Romans 15 verse 22 to 29. The word of the Lord says in Romans 15, 22, this is the reason why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the people among the saints at Jerusalem, or for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this, and have delivered to them what's been collected, I'll leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of blessings of Christ. You can be seated. And children, you can go to Children's Church right now if you'd like. I, I hope that we are live streaming. Does anyone upstairs know it's a live? Oh, I got a thumbs up over on that side. I don't know. I can't see the head. I just saw a thumbs up. Okay. Oh, hey. Hey, Drew. Now I saw it. So we are live streaming, and we want to say um, hello to a lot of people who aren't able to be with us right now. And I'm thankful that we are able to live stream. Live stream has been a little bit tricky the last update to our network here in the building and it caused our traditional live stream to stumble a little bit and so there are a group of people that have been working to make it possible so thank you to everyone who is doing that and uh, appreciate the fact that it's available today because we miss so many people who can't be here with us right now our family is is entering back into a season where there are certain christian children's songs being sung one in particular is the Lord's Army. You know, I may never uh, march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery, fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's Army. <laughs> That's being sung around our house again. Well, yeah, I, no, I did not forget the hand motions. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are hand motions, and there are all sorts of enthusiastic expressions, but... The question is, what does it mean to be sent by our commander, the Lord, into service? And as I think about that little children's song, I, I think it applies to what we're talking about here. What does it mean to be a minister of Jesus Christ? What is a description of a Christian minister? Are we sent by our captain to do kingdom work by the might of our hands? Is there some effective means for doing ministry that's more effective than others. 
And here's what I want to say and then explain. This is not like being sent out by a captain. Being a gospel minister is not like being sent out by a captain. It's more like being carried by our captain in his ministry. That's the heart of what I'm preaching over these four weeks. Being a Christian minister is not us trying to discover the most effective way to go out and do gospel work. It's us being carried by our captain, Jesus, in his ministry of the gospel. Here's my explanation. Look with me at Romans chapter 15, verse 15. You know, sometimes the way we study the Bible is word by word, line by line, verse by verse. That's how we study the Bible here which is very comforting to me because it guards me from preaching stuff other than the Bible. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that I'd like to talk about that's happening in society. But the fact that the prescription is set for me to preach the next verses guards me from preaching my own opinions or hobby horses. Sometimes, though, when we look at verses and lines, we stare very closely at trees and we miss a forest. And that could happen right here in Romans 15. Look at verse 15, the second half of the verse. Paul says this ministry he's doing is a ministry of God's grace. Then look at verse 16, the second half of the verse. Paul says, okay, I'm doing ministry. The fact that I'm doing it is God's grace and their sanctification depends on the Holy Spirit. Look again at verse 19, the first part of the verse. Being done by power and the signs of the Holy Spirit. Then look at 19, the second half of the verse. He says, this ministry, by God's grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is the ministry of the gospel of Christ. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son are the captains of doing ministry, and carrying us along in it. Here's what I mean. You've heard me several times hopefully encourage you in the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says to them, all the authority is mine. He's about to give them instruction. And he starts the instruction by saying, I am in charge of everything. Then he says, go make disciples. And then he finishes by saying, I'm with you always. That tells us that our captain is not saying, all right, soldiers, go and do your best. Jesus came and said to them, all the authority is mine and I'm with you. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. And so this is the third part in our sermon titled, The Church that is able to minister to each other. A text about how we are instructed to be engaging in Christ's ministry. It doesn't have a long list of rules. Rather, it magnifies Christ. So, in this sermon, we'll continue on these three points we've been looking at. First, We saw two weeks ago the ministry commendation. 
There are some things Paul is thankful for in the ministry of the gospel of Christ. First, he's thankful for their goodness in verse 14. You yourselves are full of goodness. That tells us that Paul is dependent on a supernatural spiritual work. They're full of goodness. Second, he says they're filled with all knowledge in verse 14. And not just filled with knowledge because that would puff up, but rather they are engaged servants of the gospel able to instruct each other, thirdly. And then we saw last week, there are some ministry convictions. There are some things about a gospel minister that they feel deeply. First this, Paul's purpose of ministry, Paul's purpose of ministry was in verse 16, so that the offering of the Gentiles would be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, sanctifying Gentiles by the Holy Spirit. The ministry that Paul's referring to, this is important for us, because you know the expression, you aim at nothing and you hit it every time? What are we aiming, when we talk about ministry for Christians, what are we talking about? We're talking about ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about moral reform, social reforms, academic success, or personal prestige. This is the good news of Jesus Christ that we minister. Paul's passion for ministry is to be with the saints. He says he wants to be with the saints who are not yet. In verse 20 through 22, my ambition is to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Which, by the way, I read to you from Matthew 28 before, the Great Commission. Everything I see Paul saying here about gospel work points back to the Great Commission. He says, I'm dependent on the Christ who has all authority. And I'm preaching where Christ has not been preached in every nation. Jesus says to us, go and make disciples in every nation. Paul's passion is to be with the saints who aren't even saints yet. He knows they're out there. His desire is to fulfill his ministry among the eastern Mediterranean sector. And then he wants to go through Rome on his way to Spain. But then he says this in verse 23. Right now, I'm going to head to Spain through Rome. Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. What? Like, if, if he has a checklist, a global map, he sees a line that says, well, the Eastern Mediterranean. Check. Got it. I no longer have room for work in these regions. Listen, that did not mean that Paul had made every person in the region a disciple. What that meant is what the Great Commission means. That there had been disciples made of every nation. Not everyone in the nation a disciple. He wants to be with the saints who are not yet. He wants to be with the saints 
in Rome and in Spain. I have longed for many years, he says in verse 23, to come to you. Now here's where we pick up today. The apostle reveals his plan going forward. He says, I've been hindered. That's passive. In other words, the work that needed to be done had kept me from coming to see you. But now, after longing for many years to come to you, he says, on my way to Spain, I plan to stop and spend time with you and be helped on my way. Look back to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, we'll find a little expression of this in verse 10 through 13. <clears throat> Romans 1.10. Always in my prayers, in verse 10, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some special gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, by yours and mine. In case you didn't know what it meant to mutually encourage, by yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul wanted to be with Christians in Rome on his way to be with gospel ministry, soon to be disciples, in Spain. Paul's plan was to go to Spain. It's believed that because Paul didn't reach Spain, that Spain is not evangelized until the third century. It hadn't yet been evangelized. Paul wanted to go to the far west side of the continent where Christ had not been preached yet. And on the way to Spain, he wanted to spend time with his Christian brothers and sisters who he had never met in Rome. There's a lot we could say about that practically. Meeting Christians in other cultures who are total strangers to us and being instantly connected with them because of Christ. Paul had not yet been to Rome, but he really wanted to go and see them. He wanted to be with the saints who were not yet. He wanted to be with the saints in Rome and then Spain. And he wanted to be with the saints in Jerusalem. So I just read for you from Romans chapter 1, verse 10 through 13. He says, oh, I've longed for such a long time to be there. I've been prevented because there's so many people in the Mediterranean area that needed to hear the gospel. I needed to make some disciples in all those nations. And I really want to get over there and see you. And so now I'm not prevented anymore. And then he says this in verse 25. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid. (laughs) Paul. Paul says, all right, I can finally come see you on my way to Spain. Preach the gospel where it's not being preached. Until the third century, it's not going to be preached. All right, here we go. Oh, wait, I got to go a thousand miles the other direction. For all of his desire to go to Spain and Rome, he can't. Because he needs to go to Jerusalem. Why? He says, it's an offering 
that was needed in Jerusalem. According to the first century historian Josephus, there had been a devastating famine in the area of Jerusalem from 46 to 48 AD. That, coupled with the way Jewish Christians were being treated, according to James, James says there is intense persecution and isolation in his letter to the church. A famine, which makes life hard for everyone. Now being a Jewish Christian, which makes you an outcast of your country. You've rejected your country's religion. And Paul says, I've got to go take some help to them. I really want to go over there and be with you. And I'm going to, I'm going to, but I feel bound to carry this offering to them. Paul loved giving. He really loved giving. I think he saw it as a as a a testimony of his new life in Christ. But I also think he, he knew it was a worship. And he loved giving. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. He said, They asked us to remember the poor. He says, the very thing I was so eager to do. But it wasn't financial relief that kept Paul from going to Rome. It's about ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So I just read Galatians 2, where he says, they asked us, to remember the poor, and that's the thing I really wanted to do. But, he says here in Galatians 6, verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. You know, I think Christians, I think the Spirit of God and the Word of God is giving us a great instruction that every one of us is either a goer or a sender. I didn't mean that. Yeah, a goer or a sender, that's correct. Is either a goer or a sender. Every one of us is Christians. I understand that not every single person is commissioned, equipped, prepared to go. But those that don't go, send. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul tells Timothy that the church should always be ready to give away resources for those going. The church should always be ready to give away resources. Now, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Okay, I have time to do both. First, turn to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, 17. <clears throat> All right, 
17 through 19. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, and therefore storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. They should be generous, always ready to share. Who does he say should be generous? He says, the rich in this present age. Well, who is that? Well, obviously that's our neighbor, right? That's the people on the other side of town. No, listen, in the world economy, that is us. We are the rich in this present age. And he says, always be ready to give. Okay, now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Macedonian gift, which is really just encouraging and compelling. This is amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. Second Corinthians 8, 1 says, Paul says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. They gave more than I thought made sense. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace. We want to share with you the testimony about the Macedonians who weren't wealthy, they were in fact in deep poverty, and gave beyond what seemed calculable. The gift is not just this money for Paul. Paul doesn't say, all right, I want to go to Spain. I'm a gospel minister. I want to preach the gospel where it's never been preached. I want to stop at Rome and see the saints there and encourage them and they'll encourage me. But i got to play the part of a mailman first. That is, that is not the point. Yes, this is a generous monetary gift to take to the church that's in Jerusalem, the Christians who are suffering hardship. But that is not what drove Paul across the map. It was a clear message of the gospel that both Gentiles and Jews were worshipers of God together, if in Christ. That these Gentiles were not kinsmen with them according to birthright or religious expression, but Christ. And so as Paul carried this expression of their worship, he knew he was carrying a gospel expression, which would cause Paul to go a long way. Maybe, maybe seeing poor 
Gentile Christians send money by Paul to poor Jewish Christians might be used to evangelize Jewish non-Christians. Which, of course, Paul was serious about. In Romans chapter 10, verse 19, he says this, But I ask, did Israel not understand? Did they not understand that they had to look to the Christ to be saved? Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So Paul had already explained in the doctrinal portion of Romans 1 through 11, he had already explained when the unbelieving Jews see the faith of a nation that's not a nation, of these people of mine who are not yet a people of mine, when they see the relationship I have with them, it's going to provoke them to jealousy and maybe even some will be saved. Twice Paul expressed that these people had pleasure in giving. And then he says why. Verse 27 of our text, back in Romans 15. Verse 27. They were pleased to do it. He says this. They owe it to them. Friends, what sense do Gentiles owe an offering to Jewish Christians? For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessing. Now there's two ways that you can handle those two sentences. You can say, as even some current ministries do, because of the Jewish particular place in God's family, the rest of us who believe in the true God, we should lift up ethnic Jewish people. You you could handle it that way. I suggest that would be incorrect. But rather, he says this, I think this is simple and plain reading of this sentence. If the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessing. If Gentiles have been brought into this covenant relationship with God, as believing Jews have been brought into this covenant relationship with God, then they are one family. They are one household of faith. And Galatians 6.10 says, we ought to do good to people, especially those who are of the household of faith. So there is not an ethnic obligation, but rather a kinship in Christ commitment to doing good to those who are of the household of faith. Is there, however, a particular thankfulness for the message of the gospel in the way it's come to Gentile people? Yes. John MacArthur says this. In the human sense, so as we see it, not necessarily the way God sees it, but as we see it, every Gentile Christian owes spiritual thankfulness to Jewish prophets, apostles, teachers, evangelists. It's Paul had already said in Romans, it's from the Jews that the Messiah has come. 
So from a human sense, the teachings, the oracles, the prophets are Jewish. Tom Schreiner says this, this is another piece of evidence that Paul has not surrendered the salvation of ethnic Israel. Paul is living out what he says in Romans 10 and 11. I think he talks about his, his deep passion for their salvation. He says, he says, either early 9 or early 10, he says, I wish that I myself could be accursed. It's 9. In Romans 9, he says, I wish I could be accursed for their salvation. If it were possible, I have such a deep passion for my countrymen. And then he preaches in 10 and 11 that this worship relationship that Gentiles have with the God of the Bible is going to be used by the Holy Spirit to provoke some unbelieving Jews to believe. Paul preached that in Romans 10 and 11. I think Gentile faithfulness is going to be a tool the Spirit of God uses to bring unbelieving Jews to Christ. Paul preaches that in Romans 10 and 11 and then does that in Romans 15. Paul wasn't just carrying this relief because he thought every Christian should live to a certain economic standard. Paul was going to carry this offering a thousand miles the wrong direction because he believed it was the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.11 says, There is neither Jew or Greek, circumcision or uncircumcision, but Christ is all and in all. The delivery of this gift was more of his ministry. He desired to be with the saints who were not. He desired to be with the saints in Rome and Spain. He desired to be with the saints in Jerusalem. He not only desired to be with them, but let me point out secondly, he desired to be a blessing to them. Look at verse 28. He desired to bless them with what had been collected financially. He says in verse 28, I desire to take to them what has been collected for them. Um, It's hard, I think, to balance our role as the body of Christ, as the church, with how do we do physical relief yet keep our priority on the soul's need. I think, I think it's hard to balance that. I think that there are a lot of well-meaning ministries that struggle with that. Sometimes you, you hear a ministry not say it verbally, but act it. Be warmed and filled. Go on your way. I'm not warm and I'm not filled. I'm homeless and I'm hungry. Yeah, 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 but I'm... Uh, Minister of the gospel. Oh, great. And then sometimes you see ministries that seem like, hey, we got to get people warmed and filled. And the words of Christ echo in our ears. What should a man gain if he has the world and loses his soul? I mean, Jesus himself didn't have a bed. 
And so I think it's hard to balance. They're not here today, so I'll embarrass uh, Craig and Peggy Vincent. Uh, I hope that you've had a chance to get to know them. Uh, they're new to Wisconsin, by the way, because uh, they moved here from out on the East Coast. And so if you haven't yet worked to build some Christian fellowship with Craig and Peggy, I hope that you will. Craig leads the Bridge Street Mission up on the north side of Wausau. And the first time Pastor Will and I sat down with him and heard him share his philosophy for running a mission, I was, I was immediately supportive. Because I heard him strike a rare balance between, yes, we care for these people's physical needs, and we will do what we can to meet that need, but that is not the end of our ministry. That is a means to our great burden to share Christ with them. And I thought he struck such a healthy balance that I personally have been very supportive and enthusiastic of what I think the future will be for Bridge Street Mission. Paul does that here, and it's hard to do. He desires to bless them with what had been collected, but not just that. Look at verse 29. He desired to bless them with spiritual gift. I know that when I come to you, in verse 29, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul was confident that when he got to Rome, he would enjoy a full opportunity for spiritual ministry to the Christians who were there. The desire that Paul expresses here, the passion of a minister, is to be with the saints. And he talks about all the Christians he wants to be with. And he can't be everywhere at once. I think he kind of wishes he could be. This was an expression that he was being carried not by his own merits or passions or ambitions or vision. He was being carried by his captain, the Lord. Paul was a faithful minister because he was being carried by his captain, Christ himself. Now, this whole section about wanting to be with the saints, there's some people who can't be here today. We got some messages earlier in the week. Will, will the service be live streamed? And I replied, I have no idea. <laughs> it is totally unpredictable at this point. If any of you are IT or tech savvy, have at it. Matt Ross is doing an outstanding job, by the way. Thank Matt. He's on vacation this week, so I'll embarrass him too. Um, he's doing an outstanding job trying to figure it out, trying to keep everything running up there. But if you can help him, he would appreciate it. There are some people who can't be here today, understandably and even wisely, but they miss when they can't be here. They're asking, can we at least be with you electronically? But what about the quote-unquote Christian who says, I don't understand why Paul wants to be with all these Christians. Why is he walking all over just to be with other Christians? I, I, if, I'm, if I'm honest, they might say, they might say, I, I, I don't really feel like I want to be there. I feel guilty when I'm not, so I, I go and be with saints. Maybe go to church or a Christian conference. Or, or the mission field, but I don't want to. Well, 
I would call attention to the fact that there was times when Paul didn't want to either. In Acts chapter 8, we read this about Paul. <clears throat> After some devout men, Christians, buried Stephen <clears throat> and made great lamentation, Saul was ravaging the church, Paul, before transformation in Christ. Saul is ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Paul not only had no burden to be with saints, he didn't want saints to be with saints. He wanted to drag Christians out of their house. If they were following Christ and worshiping Christ and learning about Christ, he would go grab them, drag them out of their house, and throw them in prison. That's Acts chapter 8, verse 2. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 3. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians. As we pray most earnestly every night and every day that we can come see you face to face and supply for you what is lacking in your growth of faith. Same guy. I don't want to be with you. I want to throw you in jail for being together. To... I'm praying every night and every day that I can come there and serve you in your growing faith. What is the difference? What is the difference between the Acts 8 description and the 1 Thessalonians description? You know, it's Christ. It's transformation. So I I wonder if I could just say as way of Maybe edification. Um, I wonder if you would take inventory of your motives this morning. We hear about Paul saying, I want to be with them, and I want to be with them, and I want to be with them. And I just, I just would take that opportunity to ask you, what about your passion? What about your motive? Do you want to be with other Christians? And Let's, let's make a clarification. <laughs> Do you want to be with other Christians? You might have had a moment where you said to me in your own head, Do you know what Christians are like? Okay, I get that. I do. I am one, and I hang out with a lot of them. I do know. They're not always the best people to hang out with. They can express their sin like I can. Okay. But Paul doesn't say, Oh, Thessalonians, oh, I want to come and be with you because you are people that I can totally let my guard down with and I know that you'll never hurt my feelings. He doesn't say that. He says, I, I want to, I'm praying every day and every night that I can come be with you so that I can be a part of your maturing faith. He doesn't even bring into the conversation what kind of quality those people are. He says, I want to be there to minister. The difference between Acts 8 and 1 Thessalonians is who is carrying Paul in ministry. So, this section, there's one more sermon in this four-part series to finish Romans 15. And I want to make clear again today, like from the opening, I'm in the Lord's army. What does that mean? My grandfather served in World War II. 
I remember him telling stories about particular generals who were overseeing the various campaigns in World War II. And he talked about some of the terminology that the foot soldiers had for these generals. Felt like they sat in rooms somewhere and sent us to conflict to die. And that view of a captain is unsettling. And that is not the view of our captain, Jesus Christ. As we engage in this ministry, we are not sent out to roll our sleeves up by the might of our hands, do good kingdom work, but rather carried. The God of grace, the spirit who sanctifies, the ministry is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the triune Godhead's work, and we are being carried along in it. So this is an instruction for our improvement in ministry. If we follow all these steps, we're going to do it better and have better results. This is not that sermon. This is a sermon that reminds us that there is gospel work, there is kingdom building, and we get to be carried along in doing it. The love for Christ compels us. And we're guided along, carried in the ministry of this triune God who is accomplishing the ministry of the kingdom. Because of Christ, this is possible to start with. If it weren't for Christ, none of this ministry of sanctifying would even be possible. And because it's our captain Christ who carries us, we have this this new eagerness to go and be with saints. Not just to hang out, but to fill up what's lacking in their faith. That is all because of Christ. Because you, you could, we could line you up and you could come across and testify, I have no selfless ambitions of my own. But by Christ, I'm a new creation. And old things pass away. And now I want to go to other saints and fill up what's immature about their faith. Let's pray. Lord, Father, thank you for, again, giving us this clarifying instruction about what does it mean that we are citizens of your kingdom? What does it mean that we engage in spiritual warfare? What does it mean that we are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Thank you so much for giving us that succinct expression of our triune God's ministry. If we care at all about the maturing of other Christians' faith, it is by the grace of God. If we see by the contribution of our hand sanctification, it is by the Spirit of God. When we spend time with other saints, we would have nothing to edify them with or call them to or grow them up in if it weren't for the good news of Jesus. So this ministry is not our burden to bear. It's not our cross to bear. 
It is our delight, our joy, to be carried along in to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.